The reading is taken from 2 Thessalonians, which in the Church Bibles is page 1189. I'm going to read uh, chapter 2 straight through 1 to 17. So, uh, Paul's letter to uh, the church in Thessalonica. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful de delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. But we ought to always thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. If you go to any sporting fixture, you'll hear the crowd of supporters shouting their support for the team. If you talk to any of the players, they'll tell you that playing at home is an advantage. And in fact, uh, Premiership uh, footballers will tell you that uh, home support is worth uh, an extra goal to them in, uh, in a game. But what would happen if the crowd are silenced? If you talk to the away teams, that's exactly what those players want to achieve. They want to nullify the advantage that that uh, home team has got. Um, I don't normally bring the uh, Saturday sports pages uh, with me to church, but I have uh, today, if I can find the appropriate uh, piece. Um, Simon Katic 
uh, was writing in the, in the paper, and this is what he said of the, uh, the match and how it was played on, on Friday. Broad bowled well, and his spell cracked the game open. He changed his pace well and swung it both ways. The crowd got involved, and it was hard to stop the momentum. Well, the previous game at uh, Headingley, the Australians managed to stop the momentum, and uh, things were quiet for uh, lengthy periods of time. If you'd watched the, uh, the Lions uh, games in uh, South Africa, you'd have seen loads of red shirts supporting the, uh, the Lions. Almost nullifying, but not quite, the advantage that uh, the Springboks had, uh, because there were so many of them there to, to lend their support to the team. If you remember at uh, Wimbledon, uh, Andy Murray was there exhorting the crowd, you know, come on, give me the support. He wanted the support from the, uh, the other uh, uh, people who were around the court just to sort of feed off that. I wonder how it felt for the uh, opponent at that particular time. But in whatever we do, we need to have encouragement, don't we? In all circumstances. Especially when things are perhaps a little bit tough. But often, that's when the team need the encouragement. But sadly, it's often the time that the oppositions manage to silence them. That can happen with us as well. When it gets tough a little bit, we go silent. We don't pray. We've allowed the opposition, the devil, to silence us at times. If we look at this passage that uh, Alistair read for us from uh, the book of Thessalonians, in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, read that for this church here, things have got a little bit tough. They've become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy that was false. They've been diverted by sort of fruitless and pointless discussion. Rather than spreading the gospel, they'd begun to look inwards at themselves. But this was a church that was developing, it was growing. And they'd allowed the devil to divert them, to deceive them. This can happen to churches or individuals as well. We're diverted sometimes to look at material things rather than spiritual blessing. The early church had none of the things that we have, no special buildings, no programs. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we read, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and significantly, and to prayer. And the Lord added daily to their number. Now, somehow or other, Christians have drifted into a sort of fruitless speculation. And the Apostle Paul draws them back. He encourages them, not by knocking them down, but by reminding them of what they already know. Often that's what we need. The Apostle throughout the, uh, the two books of uh, Thessalonians continually says this to encourage them. We always thank God for you. And as if to have a slight variation on that, he says, we ought always to thank God for you. You can read that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, 2, verse 13, 3, verse 9. 
And then in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 3, 2 verse 13. How's that for repetition for you? This is a lesson in encouragement for us. When we, consider, when we come to consider praying for others and encouragement. As I said, everyone needs encouragement at times. Whether it's in a church, a home, workplace, or somewhere else. We know that with our children, don't we? We want to encourage them. We don't want to knock them down. Good managers know it in the workplace. And we need it in church as well. Paul encouraged his church family at Thessalonica. So often we tend to look inwards at ourselves and our wants. But we need to look outwards to be able to encourage others. But if we're honest, sometimes it's quite hard for us to be a source of encouragement, strength and hope, isn't it? Not only do we need to remind others, we also need to remind ourselves as well. So from this passage that uh, Alistair read, I want us to think about encouragement. Our source, where does it come from? Our sanctification. Long word, it means growth in Christ. Our strengthening. The result of it and the purpose. Then when we have soaked up the love and the encouragement that the Lord has for us, we might in turn be able to show that to others in our lives, especially in our prayer lives, so that we might be encouraged, so that we might encourage others. But let me tell you this. People will let us down. That is for sure. After all, we're not perfect. So if we simply trust in people, we may well be disappointed. I have to say that this last week, I've been let down by someone who I've known for over 25 years. But I've never, ever been let down, nor will I be let down, by someone that I have known since I was a newborn baby in Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why it's important to recognize where our encouragement really comes from. Our source, well I've just said, comes obviously from Jesus. You can see that in verse 16 of the reading. May our Lord Jesus, it says. Earlier verses in the, in the passage that uh, we read, speaking of salvation, being saved. Words that are not used so much now, we tend to talk of our commitment. But the gospel is about being saved from a life of sin and rebellion. Paul refers to that in verses 9 through to 11. Then in verse 13, we read about being loved by the Lord. The English language, I would suggest, is inadequate when it comes to the word love. The Greeks use several words to describe it, but I doubt whether any of them can really do justice to the scope, the extent, and the depth of the Lord's love for his people. But I tell you this, we will find out about it. We will know that love for ourselves. Jesus, the man who was without sin, died for us, men who were filled with sin. He took our punishment. Romans chapter 5 tells us this, in verses 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So our source, from the Lord Jesus Christ. But by the work of the Spirit, Paul links in verse 13, being loved by the Lord with being saved by the work of the Spirit in bringing conviction of sin and of those who are being saved by a belief in the truth. I look back over quite a few years at my conversion as I was convicted of sin. I kicked against it. I rebelled. That's what the passage was saying. I rebelled. I said, I'm not, I'm not going back. I don't want to hear that again. It's too much, it's too troubling for me but somehow or other I was drawn, I came back now in retrospect and it's often in retrospect that we can look at these things, I know that it was the work of the spirit I rebelled against the truth but later as the spirit of God applied it I believed the truth that was a major difference so it's from Jesus by the work of the spirit and from God the Father who's loved us so much that he sent Jesus to be an atoning sacrifice for us. That's what we read in verse 16 again. So here we see the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work in this. Our encouragement is not from ourselves, or indeed from others, but from the Lord himself, working through others. Paul says that himself, He says in verse 14, we brought you the gospel. We brought you the teachings in verse 15. But we only passed these on. It was God who chose you. God who called you. He saved you through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And you are loved by the Lord. Such that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful thought, isn't it? If you've repented, believed and accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour by accepting and acknowledging the death of Jesus on the cross for your sin, then you have already been loved by the Lord. Have you? His love is available, but you need to respond. By reminding them, and indeed us, and we in turn reminding others, It's a great encouragement to us and should motivate us to pray. It should motivate us to pray for others, especially when perhaps we are lacking a little bit in in assurance or when we've allowed the devil to come in and divert us or deceive us. We need to pray that others might see and experience for themselves the source of our encouragement. So we looked at the source of our encouragement. Now I want us to look at the ongoing work of encouragement for us our sanctification his grace at work in us as John Piper puts it from beginning to end our salvation our election our calling our faith our sanctification and our glorification is a work of divine grace for he is a God of matchless grace he elects by grace 
He calls by grace. He sanctifies by grace. He sustains faith by grace. And he will glorify you by grace. You cannot earn it. Or deserve it. Or merit it. It is free. Believe it. Rest in it. Delight in it. And it is yours. Paul wants to remind them of this fact. What an encouragement it is that it is of the Lord and not of man. We should encourage each other with it as well in our daily lives. The question for us is, have we tasted the grace of God? Not everybody is included in this. And I should add that particular rider because Paul says, may our Lord Jesus Christ, he's talking to believers, those who trust in God as Father. So eternal encouragement is for you if you've given your life to Christ. He was talking about Christians, praying for Christians. So does that mean that we cannot pray for those who are not yet believers? By no means. Our prayer must be that they, in turn, may see the fearful prospect of judgment to come and to respond to the gospel, to God's love and to his grace. Paul encourages the believers in this new church that they who have received eternal encouragement and good hope through God's love and his grace might also encourage others. It was a work of grace that had brought them to this point that they might be encouraged. So we should also pray for the same work of grace in those who have not yet believed. And I would suggest that you shouldn't pray just in a general sense, but for the specific conversion and work of grace in people's lives. In other words, lift them up before the Lord that they also might have an eternal hope. That's why Paul reminded them in verses 13 and 14 of our reading of their conversion. When you were converted, who was praying for you? I know people were praying for me when I was converted. We need to get back to praying specifically by name for people we know and we long to see them converted. This used to be a regular feature of our prayer meetings. You know, there can be no greater encouragement than seeing sinners saved. That should lift our prayer meetings, shouldn't it? But so often it's a ploy of the devil to silence us that we either don't go or we don't get involved. And then we wonder why we're not encouraged. Well, we've looked at his grace at work in us. Now I want us to look forward. Look forward to eternal encouragement and good hope. This isn't a one-off thing. It's for all of eternity. The problem for us is that sometimes we can forget or be blinded. But we need to be reminded that it is for all time. We have a tendency, haven't we, to live in the present and to think of our present circumstances and the situation that we are facing now when we really should be looking forward to an eternity. This is where the aspect of hope comes in. And it is a good hope. 
But using the word hope can be a bit tricky at times, can't it? Because a worldly hope is very different. The sort of thing, well, I'm not really certain. Maybe it might work out. Not really sure. I hope it will. No, this is much more. In Scripture, it is a certainty. It is a certainty. Because it's always grounded in the divine nature and the divine promises. And as the commentary puts it, a hope based on God's grace can never be disappointed. We read in verse 17, Eternal encouragement and good hope encourages our hearts in good works. So how does this work? How does sanctification of good works come from eternal encouragement and good hope? Well, there are many ways, but let me give you four ways just as as an example. Hoping God produces good works. First of all, and we were singing about it a moment ago, our admiration of the mercy of God as the goal of our hope results in us wanting to show that we truly love and delight in this aspect of the character of God. We feel an impulse, something which is pushing us to act in a way that shows how truly we are in love with the way Christ really is. We really do love mercy. That song was from Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. It's extremely difficult to say that verse. I was always going around in my mind about singing it more than, more than saying it. But uh, um, the words are there. They're script words of scripture. We are singing scripture. Our sense of joy at having experienced the grace of God and our anticipation of knowing it to the full in the age to come gives us another impulse, a push to feel the thrill of overcoming any obstacles that may be in the way. Obstacles to goodness. But by the power of God's grace now, it can be overcome. You know, joy is something that is contagious, isn't it? Far better for you than swine flu, may I suggest. But like swine flu, it can be spread person to person. Now, if you want to know more about swine flu, there's a notice in the vestibule about that. But if you want to know about joy, go and have a look in the Word of God. It tells you all about joy. And you should take note of that, perhaps more than the notice which is out there. Many people, and good people as well, like to do good works. But they tend to do it in their own strength as a way of confirming the their own ego, the greatness of their own ego. Those who know and love the Lord like to do it in God's strength to confirm his reality in their lives. So hoping God is confidence that not only is he powerful and good, but also that he's wise and therefore knows the best future for us. Therefore, if we trust him, we will follow his commands and do the works of mercy that he commanded. So we need to know his commands. We need to know and read his word. The joy that we have in knowing ourselves accepted and forgiven by God is enlarged and deepened when we share it with other people. Have you tried that? 
So we built an Im- we have an inbuilt impulse in us, a push to share the hope that we have that it might be better for them. That leads us to pray for them, that they in turn might be encouraged. It's a sort of process that goes on. Paul wants them to give themselves to prayer for the wider progress of the gospel. And in chapter 3, which we didn't read, in verse 1, he seems to appeal to their own experience as the impulse for it, as it has with you, it says. The mark of a healthy Christian is enlarging vision for the cause of the gospel. So, let's consider our strengthening. Who is it for? What's the purpose of our strengthening? He asks that they might be encouraged and strengthened in three ways. Good deeds, God's love, and in terms of words. Well, we've looked at good deeds. We've already considered how hope in God produces good works because we want to respond in terms of acts of mercy to others. And that includes prayer for them. In terms of God's love, by reminding them of what Christ has already done for them and us upon the cross. And in terms of words, both by sharing with them words of encouragement, reminders of God's goodness and the grace of God, words of prayer as we pray for encouragement of others. There's a process here. He loved us. That's in the past when he gave us his son. He encourages us. That's in the present through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He gives us a hope. That's in the future when we will share in his glory. (coughs) He's taken care of our past, our present, and our future. So in the light of all that, I ask you to pray for two things. Pray for an encouraged heart and a stable heart as well. When we're encouraged, we'll face the trials of life with hope. Spurgeon said this, Cheerfulness ought to be the atmosphere you breathe, and if you believe that God loves you, You cannot but be happy. When your heart is stabilized, you won't be swayed backwards and forwards by circumstances, by the latest headlines. They won't throw you one way or the other. The stable heart is fixed upon the Lord. It's not swaying to and fro. The mark of a stable heart is consistency. You're the same because Christ is the same, no matter what happens around you, no matter what the circumstances are. Now this is especially important when we look in the, on the television, or we read our newspapers, not the, uh, the sporting ones, I'm talking about the other headlines. Um, it's especially true when we consider uh, the news that has gone on. Economic wars, wars, medical emergencies, political instability, corruption, the latest headline of the day can, oh, this, all oh, that, blow us backwards and forwards. Yet we need to rest in the Lord. Now, it's not only to do with the headlines, but it can be the same within our personal lives. In our own situation, there might be issues at home, might be issues at work, people facing redundancies. How do we cope with these sort of things? We should pray for an encouraged and stable heart, one that is strengthened. Then our lives and our lips will be in harmony with the Lord. Since God has chosen you for salvation, stand firm 
amid all the trials of life, knowing that God will encourage you and make you strong on the inside so that your life will be filled with good words and good deeds. Now when it comes to strengthening, the Word of God reminds us, and we've looked at this passage before in the series, but uh, it's always worth turning to it again. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. We're in a spiritual battle. And we need to pray for strength and strengthening in such circumstances. I read these words as a call to stand firm. And I'll repeat them to you. You are greatly loved, so stand firm. You were chosen by God, so stand firm. You were called to salvation. So stand firm. You believe the gospel. So stand firm. You will one day share in Christ's glory. So stand firm. You have received God's comfort. So stand firm. You have good hope by grace. So stand firm. You were established in every word and deed. So stand firm. Our strengthening is that we might stand firm. And having stood firm and fast, that we might be encouraged, that in turn we might encourage others. And the result of this leads to our ability to pray for encouragement of others. Because we know the source of our salvation and encouragement. That we continue to be sanctified and grow in grace and in the knowledge and trust in his word. That we ourselves have been strengthened that we might stand firm. Prayer for others, you know, is something like, well, it can be a bit of an intangible thing. Can't see it, but we can feel it. It's a real source of strength in times of need. An inner strength that comes from God through the prayers of others. There are many times in life, you know, where we face uh, difficulties. We know of people who are going through a difficult time whether it's due to health concerns, bereavement, or indeed something else. There's a natural tendency within us to want to do something, to be able to help. But it seems often there's very little we can really do. 
But there's always something important and meaningful for us to do. We can pray for them. Hold them before God. Praying for other people can also help us in another way. It can help us to see things differently. The more we pray, the more we're able to start seeing things from God's perspective rather than our own. This happens because we're lining ourselves up with God and not only holding a personal situation before God, but allowing Him to give us a different view of things. In other words, the more we pray about something, the more we can understand it. The more we understand it, the easier it is to pray for it. I wonder whether you can recall that in the book of Revelations there's a very short few words which I find always very encouraging of how God sees our prayers. He sees them as holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. That's in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. What an encouragement that is. That's how God sees our prayers. In that way. When we go to a prayer meeting and hear, hear people pray publicly, perhaps for the first time, we're all encouraged. Do we go expectantly that the Lord will do great things? Some of you might remember Dr. John Harris, who was with us many years ago. And I remember at one particular prayer meeting that we had, and uh, we were meeting at the back there, and he was encouraging us to pray, to look to the Lord for answers. He used to note down all the prayer requests in a little book, and he filled this notebook of all the different prayer requests as they came along. He was so confident that months later when he wrote to us from Africa, he reminded us of those things that we had been praying about. Now he wanted to know how the Lord had answered those prayers. That's confidence. He was praying expectantly. But don't expect that the Lord will necessarily answer in the way that you expect but expect to be encouraged his ways are so much higher than our ways you know there's a danger sometimes that we we pray about something we've already decided in our minds that this is the way that we that we want the lord to answer the prayer that is the only way that is acceptable for us that's not praying that's just repeating what we would like so in closing i ask you, I challenge you, what holds you back in your prayer life? Is it that you've never really come to know the Savior for yourself? Or that you're lacking confidence in trusting in the Lord and His Word? Or perhaps, like the crowd, sometimes things have got a bit difficult, a bit tough, and you've been cowed into silence, such that you've allowed the opposition, the devil, to take advantage as we've been reminded constantly in this series, we are engaged in a spiritual battle. But I want to tell you something to encourage you. Take heart. The battle is still ongoing, but the war has already been won. Now, if it's any of these things that's holding you back, let me encourage you to share it with others. Talk to any of the elders who are here tonight or to the prayer teams 
sit over the, uh, the back there. And they may pray with you and encourage you. You know, we all need to be encouraged. Paul did as well. That's why in chapter 3 he goes on to ask for prayer, except that he needed encouragement. Why? I'll leave you to answer that for yourself. Now, if we're honest, none of us can say that our prayer life is as it should be. I certainly can't. But I can encourage you that it can and will be better as you remember the true source of our encouragement, the grace of God in our lives, the eternal and good hope that we have, and the Lord strengthening each one of us. Amen.